You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hi, it's Julie. Thanks for tuning in to this very special episode. As we wrap up Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I am thrilled to introduce a woman with grit, ambition, dedication, and a big heart. A true leader, a mother, and my dear cousin and mentor, Kelly Sue. Kelly shares her story of her Korean culture, following her passion for fashion, putting herself through school, excelling in a corporate role, and then starting her own brands. Kelly doesn't stop there. In the beginning of COVID, she created thousands of masks for frontline workers by getting her entire community involved. You can find Kelly on cammyandtank.com and follow her Instagram handle at by Kelly Sue. Now sit back, grab your favorite Jim Beam highball and get inspired. Kelly, welcome to Served Up. Julie and I are so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What a special treat. Um, So Kelly, we asked you to join us on Served Up as we are celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander month of May, and you are going to close us out for this month. What does this mean to you? Um, I'm just excited to be part of it. You know, honestly, (laughs) I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but I had no idea that such thing existed. Um, And so when I heard your first with Liam Mm -hmm. and you guys were talking about, you know, I'm celebrating this month, it's Asian American um, Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I was like, what? Like, how did I not know this? And so, you know, Julie asked me like, hey, can you come on and, you know, talk with us? And so I was a little like, oh, you know, I've never kind of really done this. But yeah, sure. Of course. Like, I love to talk about our heritage and what, you know, what we're all about. And so ask any questions, ask, you know, ask away. (laughs) Well, thank you for being so open and so trusting. We just appreciate you so much. And, you know, I think to start, we would like to, you know, have the listeners really understand a little bit about you, Kelly, you know, um, where did your journey start? Did you go to college? Did you say school's not for me? Like I said, you know, what, what really springboarded you into your career that you have today? So uh, my background, fashion designer, growing up, um, I probably wasn't the idea student, like I hated school, like I was like, you know, why do we need this kind of education? Why do we need to know calculus, like, you know, like all this stuff, right. And so I was never that honorable student or um, the perfect student. But I've always like known that there was something in, in me that, you know, I was artistic, like I saw things differently, I saw color shapes, just people differently. And um, it was almost when I looked at things, it was just always in a creative way. And so, you know, at a very young age, I loved putting things together, making things up. Like 
I didn't know how to sew. I mean, I would just grab, you know, old clothes that were recycled or socks or whatever I can get my hands on, you know, paper, um, just cut it all up and just shape it into different things to put on my dolls. And so I, I've always known that I wanted to design, I wanted to create stuff. Um, and I think as I got older, uh, I remember it was in uh, middle school, I was nominated, um, for the best dresser at my school. And I, I was like, Oh, okay. And, you know, I knew I was different. I think I, people always just kind of like saw me as like, okay, like she always has weird things on, you know, I, I, I never I, I wasn't like always in trend with what was cool, what everybody was wearing back then, I've always kind of had my own style, but to be nominated, um, and like, you know, got that, I was like, okay, you know what? People like it. They might not get it, but they like it. And so that kind of just led my path, you know, from there. I just started studying on my own. Um, like Coco Chanel is one of my favorite all-time designer. Um, just looking into her history and what she was about. And I knew that after high school, um, I had this vision of going to a fashion school. And of course, you know, being raised in Asian household, that was absolutely not acceptable <laughs> being an artist. My mother was like, no, you're gonna like either be a doctor or a lawyer. You know, I'm like, there's no way with my GPA. Um, <laughs> but I knew that she my parents just had something else in mind for my career path. And so I, you know, kind of lied. And I was like, yeah, I got accepted to UW. I'm moving to Washington. And they kind of believed me and were like, okay, you know, supportive, because I knew that if I told them that I was, you know, attending Art Institute in Seattle, they would absolutely be against it and would not support me. But they ended up finding out and they didn't support the idea. So I actually put myself through school, worked full time doing that. And lucky for me, I got a great position working for Chanel Cosmetics at Nordstrom. And it was close by where I went to school. So, you know, um, putting myself through school on my own, working um, in the cosmetic, you know, industry and Nordstrom, it was such a great place to start. I got to meet so many wonderful people. And um, from there, it just kind of, I think, just increased my interest in the fashion industry, you know, cosmetics and fashion, like it's just all very you know, um, related. And so uh, once I graduated, I got my break at the Nordstrom product group, um, MPG, I got to design for halogen. And then from there, I just uh, slowly climbed it, you know, climbed that corporate ladder, um, got promoted to uh, designing for lingerie for Nordstrom. And from there, I got to just travel and it just opened my eyes to a whole nother world, you know, like traveling to Paris, Milan, New York, um, Asia, it just was my dream come true. Like I was like, wow, this is what I wanted. And this is I, I have it. But there was something inside of me where I still felt like, you know what, this isn't enough. I mean, I didn't picture myself to be this like, huge famous designer like I, I didn't see myself like that but I knew that um I'll give I'll, I'll give you an example I designed this beautiful collection the sweater collection and um it hit the floor you know we worked on the top floor I worked on the top the 10th floor that's all where all the designers work and on the bottom levels of you know first through fifth floor were the department stores and so we knew I knew my very first collection was coming out that day and I ran downstairs to see it and I'm like oh and people were shopping and buying you know my design and it was just like wow like that's what I always pictured always imagined and now seeing this happen but still I was a little like there was a little unsatisfaction inside of me I was like 
it doesn't have my label on it. It says halogen or it says Nordstrom lingerie. It didn't have my name on it. And so um, I knew that I've always wanted to kind of have my own label, like my own design company. And so my, you know, my goal was to work at Nordstrom, get the experience um, and the connection. And once I was, you know, ready, I decided to leave the company. Um, That was, gosh, I was there for six years. And then I left the company. And then I just, you know, my husband was so supportive. He's like, do it now, you know, and if it doesn't work out, then it's okay. Just go back to the corporate world. (laughs) And so I did. And left Nordstrom, started my um, business, my brand. And um, yeah, and from there, it's just here I am today with my, you know, I have multiple uh, brands under my belt. I have a Cami and Tank, Composure by Kelly. I have kids line as well, um, inspired by my own kids. And um, yeah, so (laughs) that's where I am today. Kelly, what an inspiring story. So how many years ago has it been since you left Nordstrom? So since you left the corporate world to decide to go on your own? Let's say this uh, was in 2006. I want to say I left Nordstrom. Oof. Long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. So that was like life number one. Yes. And now this is like life number two. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, I, um, I have the freedom of creating what I want and um, releasing when I want, like, I, there's no more deadlines. I mean, of course, there's deadlines, you need to get things done, you need to have a collection done every season, but it's just so much more freedom. I mean, there are pros and cons of having your own business. You know, um, I know I don't get to travel first class anymore <laughs> when I'm flying to Paris or New York, you know, um, everything is out of your own pocket. And so, um, but just having that freedom and I, I get to stay home with my kids and, and watch my kids grow while I do what I'm doing and what I love doing is just, uh, I just, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It, it's, um, I, I have, you know, the best of both worlds. That's inspiring. And I think a lot of people think about that, you know, like what is that alternative um, from being in a corporate world versus going out on my own? And, and we know all the benefits that come with that. Well, we don't know, but you just shared that with us. And that's so beautiful, you know, that, that you are able to be with your kids, be on your time, and most importantly, have your name on the brand, right? So what has been the most challenging kind of going from that corporate career besides not being able to be on first class tickets to the best <laughs> places in the world? But what, what has been the most challenging of, of having your own business and your own clothing lines? Well, being, um, having your own business and, you know, when you're starting out, you're wearing multiple hats, like you're one woman show. And so, you know, before I had a whole team supporting me, I had a production manager, I had a, you know, um, pattern, uh, designer who created my patterns for me. Um, I had a sewer, like we, you know, I had everyone who I was able to delegate my work to other people. And, but when you're, when you're starting on your own, like it just, I I think the beginning part of starting a business is just making sure everything is um, done. But at the same time, you're doing it all on your own. And so that was the most challenging. And yes, I hired people here and there that, you know, to delegate work, but it just, 
it's we just didn't have that cohesive flow. So it took time to really um, navigate through and have a, a system down, you know, from development to the production and to that end goods where it's actually there out there for the consumers. And so it's just a process of actually um, getting things done, you know, from the beginning to the end was really difficult. I can't even imagine. I mean, you really built something from nothing, right? Just something yeah. based on your passion and your experience and you made it your own, which is, you know, brava. That's amazing. It really is. And that I know that is not easy to do, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. But, but you, you have to um, be so proud and you must really just enjoy the fashion industry to branch off on your own because it would be very safe, right? To stay with like a Nordstrom. You mentioned that your heritage and how going into fashion and maybe away from a more traditional career path wasn't really seen as something good within your family. How does your family feel about what you're doing today? They are, you know, so proud. Like my mother, you know, once I told her, I I guess in their generations are just like, fashion designers, you know, artists, musicians, these are all hobbies. They're not careers. I mean, one in a million will make it and they're kind of thinking that way. And it's just not a safe choice as a career. Um, And so I remember my mother came and visited me um, while I was in school and she saw how hard I worked. Because like I said, you know, back when I was a student in high school, I just I wasn't responsible. I sometimes, you know, I skipped school. I didn't have the best grades. And my parents were probably thinking like, you're not going to make it. I mean, if you think you're, you know, you're choosing to be a fashion designer, which is a really hard thing to do, a career path to make it in this world. And you're not even responsible to take care of yourself now. Like they just had a lot of doubts. But I remember she came to visit me and she saw how hard I was really, I was just so driven. And I don't I really don't know what possessed me what strength I had, like where it came from to, you know, I would have to take three bus to transfer from where I lived, I lived like almost, you know, 30, 45 minutes away from where I worked. So I had to take a bus and then transfer to a bus another bus to get to um, my uh, to Nordstrom downtown, uh, the flagship store. From there, then I had to take another bus to get to my school. Like, so I'm, I mean, it was just hard just to get to where I needed to go because I didn't have money. I didn't have um, a car. Um, and so I think uh, when when my mom saw that, like, you know, I'd leave at, you know, six in the morning sometimes, go to school. And then after school, I would go to my job and then get home by like 9, 9.30, sometimes 10. She just saw how hard I worked. And she was just, I think at that moment, she was just so proud that um, I was doing it on my own. And she finally decided to support me, (laughs) help me. Um, During my last year, she um, helped me with moving closer to school. So she helped me find a place that was in downtown. So that way I didn't have to ride three different buses. I can just walk to work and to school. And so that was really helpful. And once uh, I remember graduation, she just, was so proud. Like, you know, she doesn't say much. We're we're not very um, expressive. And I think a lot of Asian parents are like that because they weren't raised that way. And so it's not like she sat me down and gave me this whole, you know, speech about how proud she was. It was just she just gave me that look and she hugged me and she was, you know, that's just that one word, like, I'm proud of you. And and then all her friends, like, you know, I grew up with a lot of my mom's friends, close friends, you know, we call them aunties. And 
I remember coming to Alaska, going back to Alaska, that's where I'm from. And, um, you know, uh, before I went off, um, on this big trip, I went, told them I got a job at Nordstrom every, like, I felt like everybody like knew, like everybody in Alaska, like knew it. I went to a grocery store, an Asian market, um, anywhere that her friend, like her friends were, they would just know about my life. And I'm like, Oh, well, how did you know? Like, obviously, my mother was like going around the whole town telling everybody how proud she was of me. And so I just knew like, she was really happy. And, um, you know, happy for me. Uh, So yeah, that's so great. I mean, just to think about the fact that you put yourself through school, like you were so determined that this is what you wanted to do and not finding that in you because you weren't passionate about the traditional school system, but being able to get past that and then saying, this is what I want to do and finding the strength within yourself to not only get you there, but to pay for it and, and put yourself through school. That's just, that's incredible. And, and where you are today, I just can't imagine. (laughs) Thank you. Tell us a little bit about what it was like the first couple of years launching your brand, because you talk about wearing many hats, right? So give us an example of what those different hats are at a core of like when you want to start a brand, how you launch it, like what are some examples of the things that you that you had to do on your own? You know, it all starts from the designing process. Um, you do your research, trend research, looking for what, what is, you know, as a designer, you're looking a year, two years ahead. And so you definitely, and I didn't have those kind of the, so when I was working for Nordstrom, we had this um, whole program. Um, it's like a worldwide uh, design program where we can go on and do all these trend research and find these reports. I didn't have that. Cause you know, it's very expensive to uh, be a member of that. And so, um, you know, going through the design process, I would, um, for me, I travel like, or just walking the streets of downtown or just anywhere um, that I just found it was inspirational. Um, it gave me idea and just watching people, what they're wearing, um, you know, what colors are there, um, just putting all that together in my mind um, and then starting with sketches and then to fabric, like, you know, I'd go to the textile show, um, you know, two, three times a year to see what the new fabric textile was coming in. And from there, from textile to silhouettes, you know, you create your design board from the design board concept, then you make your samples, your prototypes, um, work with your factories to producing those samples. To produce a sample, you need a pattern designer and you need your sewing engineers. That was me. Um, thank God I learned how to sew. So like I'm not I, I'm not the best at it, but um, with the skills that I had, I was able to, you know, make samples and um, show it to my buyers create a line list, um, present it. And I remember my first line that I created was called She Golf. It was a fashion golf wear. Um, at the time, you know, the whole golf wear for women, it was just so uh, sexy and so um, trendy. And like, you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones, um, Michelle Wee, um, you know, gosh, Tiger Woods, you know, they put golf on the map as far as like for young people, they basically made it fashionable. You know, when you think of golf, you think of old people, golf. (laughs) like it's, it's not pretty, it's not sexy, but they definitely made golf sexy. And I think that's what I realized. I started playing golf with my husband. I'm like, there is nothing cute out there. So I started making my own um, collection, my own, you know, 
uh, golf wear and I'd wear it to um, all these different golf courses and I would get so many compliments from people and that's where I was like okay you know what I'm gonna make fashionable golf wear and it just kind of started out as like something fun to do but then it became more than that I I the next thing I knew I was at the PGA show showing my line to all these buyers and then we started having like Newcastle Pebbles Beach contacting me asking me to come and like show them my collection so we started selling at all these nice um, golf resorts um, some of the nicest golf resorts where actual like PGA tournaments are at. And so um, I had a few uh, LPGA women wearing my line and it was great. Um, But you know, all of that, it took time. I mean, it took a lot of time um, producing and um, just bringing it to light. And um, I was just really lucky to have jumped on that bandwagon when I did. Um, You know, now it's a little different. I feel like uh, golf for women has really kind of I mean, it's still there, but it's just not as what it, where it was, like I want to say 10 years ago. And so we, I am no longer doing She Golf now. I've moved on to my other brands, uh, other labels. But um, yeah, so back then, it, that was really fun doing that and being able to travel to all these different really cool golf courses and um, seeing like you know, famous people wear my stuff. <laughs> I love that because I think that, um, that golf clothes can be just so horrendous. So it's yeah. so nice that, you know, you really made an impact to make them beautiful that you just don't have to wear cargo shorts and a polo, right? Yeah, exactly. You can actually <laughs> feel, you can feel good on the golf course. I, I love that. Um, where can our listeners find your products? So I have two women's, um, label. I have Cami and Tank, which is a little more contemporary. You know, it's the name itself, literally beautiful camis and tank tops. Um, And so that, you know, uh, I wanted to create something that was more, I just felt like all women wear camis and tank tops. And I wanted to, I I remember I was looking for a certain satin cami, like I wanted a black cami to wear, I couldn't find it anywhere. And I feel like it's really seasonal. Like if you want a satin cami, it's like it only comes out during holiday seasons. And so I couldn't find it. And um, I was like, okay, you know, all right, here I go. I'm just going to make my own. And so um, that's what I did. And then I started noticing, you know, more and more um, of my friends were like, you know, oh my gosh, can you make that for me? Can, you know, it, it always starts that way. It's like, I see a demand, I see a need and I create that. And so from there, Cami and Tank was developed. And um, so it's just camiandtank.com. And for my um, other uh, customers, you know, I love creating beautiful dresses. I love creating, you know, more of a couture, one of a kind. Um, I used to make, so while I was in college to make extra money, I would make wedding dresses. Um, And so a lot of people that were getting married, like, you know, my friends, um, they couldn't afford like Vera Wang. (laughs) So, you know, we're, we're kids. Um, I mean, not kids, but you know, we're just, we're starting out and we don't have money to spend on wedding gowns. And so I would make them wedding, you know, wedding dresses and, um, so yeah, I, I think um, that's always, that's just always in me. Like I, I love creating beautiful, like special piece for that one customer that's tailored towards, you know, tailored for her. I actually made Ju- Julie's wedding dress. <laughs> um, yeah, a long time ago. I would but- like to see that, Julie. <laughs> we have pictures, but that's the, that's the wedding we don't talk about. <laughs> You know, after I said it, I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't have said that because no, <laughs> you okay. want to talk about that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 
but um yeah so- it was beautiful it was beautiful Bridget it was exactly like <laughs> I wanted and um I I remember that time you were like do I need to make this looser and I'm like no I'm gonna lose weight and I remember <laughs> we had to like squeeze me into it oh my god I'll never forget that oh yeah but it, it fit it, it fit you perfectly And so that, so my other label is Composure by Kelly. And so that is more of a one of a kind, um, you know, limited piece that I designed just for you. Um, I mean, I do carry, I do have a collection out and so people can buy it. But um, if you have a design that you want, you know, to come to life, then um, you'd go to Composure by Kelly and, um, you know, I consult with people. Um, you can do it over, I can do it over, um, zoom or meet in person and, um, basically sketch out what they're thinking, you know, and what I'm envisioning. And we just kind of, kind of collaborate into, um, a beautiful design. I love that, you know, and, and we've known each other forever, entire lives. So full disclosure to all of our listeners, um, I am fortunate enough to have Kelly as my cousin and our mothers are sisters. So if you're wondering how ironically we got another Korean girl from Alaska that originally from (laughs) Alaska, that's why. So that's a whole nother episode, but I I definitely want to be, you know, upfront and Kelly, I think that Bridget and I talk about every guest that we're going to have on and, and And you came up because this month is really about when we talk about Asian American Pacific Islander month. And if you heard our episode with Liam, you know that I didn't know that it was either. So no shame, no judging. Right. But I think in this time more than ever, right. Um, with all of the the social and racial injustice happening, you know, from Black Lives Matter to now Asian hate, it's it's so important for us to really embrace our heritage and talk about it, and and especially for Asians because we've always been taught, don't worry about how what other people are saying, what they're doing. Nobody's interested in what you have to say. Just put your head down, provide value, work really hard and do that. And I think we've all done that as Americans, as Asian Americans our entire life. And now it's a reckoning. It's, it's no, we're here and, and we want to be seen. We want to be heard and we want to be appreciated. So for me, this month is really about showing that contribution and speaking and, you know, yelling it from the rooftops. Like this is what we've done. This is what we do. And and this is why we are Americans. And this is why we add value to this country. Right. So, you know, with that, that's why, you know, I'd asked Bridget, I'm like, can we get Kelly on? Because just what you've shared with us so far, what you've overcome, what you've achieved is just so incredible and inspirational. Um, But there's more, right? So there's something else that I'm going to kind of backtrack, but I want to talk about your recent thing, because now that you've heard, or now that you know, and and you're on this podcast celebrating Asian American Heritage Month, and we're just talking about your couture dresses, I want you to share with us what inspired you um, and what you're doing to celebrate your heritage. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, of course. Um, and so once I found out, I was like, oh, wow, May is, you know, Asian American Pacific Island Heritage Month. I want to do something to really um, be a voice. And I feel like if you can, if you have the platform, you should all, you know, use that platform to really celebrate this month. And um, so I decided to uh, make a dress and I wanted to create a dress, not just, you know, 
not just a dress, but this dress is really to, uh, inspired by a Korean traditional dress called hangbok. And growing up, like, you know, we wear this like once every year during New Year's, but you know, my parents weren't very traditional in that sense. They didn't force us or make us and we really didn't really celebrate it that much. Um, or like, I mean, in, if you go to Korea, it's very elaborate, like they have this huge festivals. And I mean, like families just have huge parties. And um, I think, you know, because we don't have that big of a family, we just kind of kept it simple. We didn't put on the dress, we didn't do the traditional games that families play and have the, the meals. And so I really wanted to um, use I, I remember that and I wanted to use that um, concept and create this dress and um, share it with my audience. And so I'm designing a dress and I, I sketched up few options. Um, and I wanted to engage with my audience and ask them, hey, you know, I have this is what I'm doing. And um, I have few options. And tell me what you think, like, what would you choose? What, you know, um, and so it, it, it was really fun. Like I had ton of response, you know, I was on TikTok and Instagram, Facebook, um, and I had a lot of people respond and um, kind of giving me their feedbacks. And a lot of people were like, Oh, wow, like, I didn't know that either. And so I feel like just making just putting that out there, it's bringing it to light more and more people are like, Oh, wow, it's Asian American Heritage Month, you know, like, just like me, I didn't know, but I heard your podcast, and I found out and now I'm using my platform to share it with my audience saying, Hey, guess what May month of May is. And so it was really, um, really cool to have people um, responding. And so I actually, I was planning to planning to um, reveal the dress, uh, this week or last week, but I got kind of sidetracked. It was my daughter's 13th birthday and I ended up making her a dress and we had this huge event. So kind of got busy, but I actually just finished today. And so um, I am planning to, I've like gotten email like or messaging from few of my um, audience and asking me like, Hey, did you ever decide on the dress? Like, when are you going to share? And so I'm so excited. I'll be posting that probably tomorrow the dress that I because I didn't want to I didn't want to reveal the dress until I actually made it. And so I made the dress and um, I'm so excited to put it on and share it with everybody. And so yeah. Oh my goodness. I can't wait to see it. Cause I, I do follow you on Instagram. So oh, awesome. hopefully you'll be posting it on Insta and we I'll check it out. I can't wait. Yes, yes, I yes. can't wait. You know, it's funny because coming out of a pandemic, you know, you're finding all these really cool and inspirational ways to apply your craft that reflects your heritage and who you are, you know, celebrating this month. During the pandemic, the fashion world really was crushed just as hard as the beverage industry, right? I mean, we're all living in our pajamas really for 12 months. So what did you do to survive? You know, what did you do? during COVID to stay inspired and to stay relevant in your industry? Oh, yes. Um, so that took, you know, a lot of thinking, you know, because obviously girls aren't going out, ladies aren't going out in their little cute camis anymore <laughs> for date nights or girl social hours, right. And so definitely, definitely took a hit. And because everyone's at home in their loungewear. And so for me, I think I, I, I on one of my posts, you know, I posted I always feel better when I'm put together. 
And so even being like, just being at home for days and days and days, wearing my pajamas and sweatpants, it started, I started getting really depressed. I was just like, oh my gosh, like life, it's like every day it's saying I wake up, you know, feed the kids, do this, go to work, like in my office, in my house, like in the same PJ or lounge where it just got really depressing. And so I decided to, you know, I'm going to change. I'm going to make a loungewear that's cute. And um, so I started doing that. I started p- focusing on rather than designing new collection for my cami and tank line, I started making loungewares that were cute and um, appealing and comfortable. Um, and so I remember I made this hoodie, long hoodie, um, like a sweatshirt dress, and I wore it out and I wore, I wore it to Target and it was so comfortable, but it was so cute. And I just like random women just came up to me. And they're like, oh my gosh, I love your outfit. Where'd you get that? And I'm like, Cami and Tank. <laughs> so from there, you know, loungewear, Cami and Tank loungewear uh, was born during COVID. And I think I had my best year selling loungewear. <laughs> um, in 2020. And um, I still, so I, st- you know, decided to keep the loungewear um, part of our category for Cami and Tank, because I feel like it's just now it's become a, you know, an essential part of my brand. So I don't know if you've seen it, but it's just my designs are always very, um, it's very classic, like I like very simple, but just a little touch of you no know, detail added. Um, and so and it seems to uh, work with my audience. And so um, I've done pretty well uh, with the loungewear collection. I love that you went from cami and tank, which is like taking camis and tank tops to the next level to be like a little fancy and a little bit more sexy. And then adding loungewear to then just encompass that. And and it's so such a natural extension, which is great. So take us back a little bit, because you did something extremely notable. And I was so inspired by you. I was like, Oh, my gosh, Kelly's doing this, I need to do something, you know, take us back to as soon as everything shut down, you were in Washington, one of the first states that shut down, you had just left visiting me in Miami, we all got on lockdown, masks were obsolete. People couldn't even buy a mask if they wanted. You're here. Everything shut down. What did you do? What happened? Tell us the whole story. (laughs) Yeah. Oh gosh. That. So once, you know, every, once people were uh, unable to leave their homes and, um, you know, mask was required, but it wasn't available to the public. I mean, unless you can make your own mask, um, I saw a huge, you know, need for masks. And and I started making masks just, you know, for families and friends. And I remember seeing an email, um, or my husband actually was like, hey, Swedish hospital, they're saying they're looking for people who know how to sew and they're doing a mask challenge if you can make 100 masks um, for the hospital. And I was like, yeah, of course. And um, but then I, I just never got around to it. And I, and I remember my girlfriend calling me, and she's like, hey, Kelly, did you see this challenge? And like, I, I feel like people were just literally like poking at me and saying, come on, Kelly, right? Like I, I was planning to do it. But I think I was just so busy just doing my own, you know, working on my own stuff that I, I, um, 
just kind of put that to the side. But then I, once my friend called, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to put everything on pause and do this because it, it's so needed right now. And so I was like, you know, instead of a hundred, I'm just, I'm going to make as much as I can because people need it. And um, I remember buying the fabric. And um, I had more than enough at the time. So I made like few hundred. And soon later, I, uh, I think like, um, gosh, one of the news, um, one of the local stations, they reached out and they were like, I heard you're making masks. Um, you know, can we do a story? And I, I mean, and even before that, I just the more and more I was making masks, it just wasn't enough. Obviously, people were like still reaching out. I had random people just emailing me like, hey, are you making masks? Can I get some? And I did post we have an um, I live in this community where we have our own um, community Facebook page. And I posted I'm like, if you need masks, just let me know, I will put you on a list and try to get, you know, um, get it to you as soon as I can. And I was just leaving it out on my porch table with their names on it. And people were just picking it up. And um, so my girlfriend was like, Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. So she, you know, um, I think, posted on her Facebook. And so the demand, I mean, I was just and I'm like, Oh, my gosh, people stop posting. Like I can't keep up with the demand here. And then the news. Um, oh, and then before that, so sorry, I'm like trying to think back because it was just like, gosh, it was a while ago. But so then I, um, I, I remember I was like, I need more materials. But then, you know, materials, I was getting my materials from Joanne's Fabric because my suppliers, my fabric suppliers all shut down. And so I wasn't able to buy wholesale fabrics anymore, um, even for my own brands. And so I just would go to Joanne's Fabric, order it online or, but the prices for cotton, you know, fabric. And at the time, it, the, they were requiring that you use cotton fabric, um, woven cotton fabric. And the prices of that just kept, it was just going up. And I was like, Oh, gosh, you know, fabric is it's, um, it's costing a lot for just the raw material, I'm willing to do the work, but I need supplies. And I was running out of like a lot of the stuff, elastic trims were hard to get. It just like, you know, everyone was sold out. And um, I remember just reaching out to the community and saying, we created a, a GoFundMe, that's right for the materials. And I made a decision, I want to make mask with the community, whoever can sew, help me out, whoever, if you can't sew, then you know what, donate for the uh, to buy materials or donate materials. If you have materials, if you have twist ties at home, bring it drop it off in front of my house, like I need all the materials. And slowly the community just kind of came together and all like pitched in people who knew how to sew came and said, I can help you. So I had over I want to say like, 50 sewers who um, said, I, I can help, I can help. And so I was like, okay, how am I going to get all these sewers to work, right? And where am I going to get the materials? So people started sending money in to buy the materials. I started making mass kits. I started creating the kit. I'm like, what's the easiest way to get all these people to help sewing? Because here's me like trying to do one mask at a time. But if I can get the community to come and help me sew, we can make thousands together. And so uh, rather than me making one mask at a time, I started making mask kits and I would leave each kit had 20 masks um, in there that they can make. And so I would um, I'd had 50 sewers. I made 50 um, mask kits 
left it out um, on my front porch. All these women started coming and picking up the kids. They would make it and then drop it off back to me. And then I would take those masks and soon I had a spreadsheet of like hospitals, um, nursing homes, um, you know, just uh, uh, grocery stores. I went to Safeway, a QFC um, at the time, uh, Target. Um, at the time, none of these people had masks available. And I was so surprised because they're a corporation. I'm like, how can your employers not provide you with things, you know, um, to protect you? And so I would drop it off and they just were so thankful. Like I had women crying at Safeway, the one of the employee, the clerks, because I brought them masks. And so, you know, I would share these with my sewers and tell them like, you know, like, look what we're doing. And soon that got to the media. Um, one of the local stations came and, um, did an interview, interview some of the sewers. And it was just, it was awesome. Like just to see the community come together and really work together and help people like, you know, and even like home, uh, homeless shelters, um, we were able to donate thousands of masks to the homeless shelters, juvenile um, um, institutions, um, nursing homes. Like I said, like we covered a lot of nursing homes here. But yeah, we were, you know, overall, we're able to make, I want to say 6,000 masks to donate. Um, and within like, I think that two months time period. And so and then by then, um, it was easier to get by then. But that first few months, it was just so hard to get and we were just I'd have nurses uh, reaching out to me from different hospitals asking for more masks and uh, we donated to them. And um, it was just, it just felt so good that, you know, we can help. I can, I was able to contribute and organize and actually um, do something, you know, and using my skills. Um, so I was really proud of that. I'm proud of you as well. I think that that's just an incredible story. So you set out to make a hundred and you wound up making about 6,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a lot of people that you helped through COVID. I'm really happy to know you. That's an, just a beautiful story. I know my, you know, I told you earlier, my daughter is a seamstress and she was making masks uh, um, as well, not 6,000, but enough for our family to have. So I remember <laughs> yeah. how important that was. And I do remember how you couldn't find like elastic. Yeah. Yeah. It was not available. Yeah. You know, I remember all of that. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for contributing to, to your community. It's just a, such a beautiful story. And Kelly, I want to thank you so much for, for being on Served Up, for taking your time today, for sharing your incredible story. You're very inspiring. Oh my goodness. I just have to tell you, I can't wait to meet you in person. Yes, I me can't too. wait. Julie talks about you all the time, so <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Kelly, my cousin, my Annie, I love you so much. I know actually her first response when I asked her to be on the podcast was like, no, no way. I'm not going to do it. I've never done that. And I was like, well, you don't have a choice, so get ready. And you just did incredible. And your stories are just so inspirational. I think you're going to inspire so many people and, um, you know, again, I'm so proud of you for everything you did. And even just with the masks, like that was so incredible. And, you know, we've shared and, and we will share with this episode, the link to the, the story um, from the local station, because I loved seeing that and just all the things you continue to do and, and creating this handbook with your special twist for for this month is just, you know, I can't wait to see what you continue to do in the near and long-term future. 
Aw, thanks, ladies. It was so much fun. I just, you know, talking about all these things. And I can't wait to meet you too, Bridget. I'm mm-hmm. so looking forward to um, another visit to, you know, visit Julie in Miami. Hopefully Me soon. too. <laughs> you guys definitely... can both come to Miami or we'll both meet you in Chicago because I'm already planning it. a girl's trip at Bridget's house. So yes. oh, she's going to come so stay fun. at my house. It'd be so fun. <laughs> so well, Kelly will come too. <laughs> yes, that's Yay. fine. Everybody is welcome. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Yeah. Kelly, I, I want to, um, on behalf of Julie and I, you know, I just want to wish you just so much great health during this time and just a lot of peace and congratulations on all of your hard earned success. Thank you so much. Thank You're you. Welcome. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!